Well, I'm very excited that we have a special guest and friend from Toronto, Canada, Rabbi Jeff Foreman. So glad that Jeff is here. Rabbi Jeff is, is just not only a wonderful friend, he and his wife, Janet, have been friends for Sandy and me for years and years, decades, really. And we've stood together in many different ways. And one of the things you can measure a person by is how they um, have a good word in season or out of season. When things are easy and when things are difficult. And Rabbi Jeff is one of those people who always is pressing into the Lord, always praying and always asking the Lord for clarity, for vision, for faith, for hope, for strength. And, and when I talk to him, he builds me up. And so I really appreciate him and his, uh, his willingness to come here and to speak to us. He's, he's a good man, and in these days, you know, good men are rare. And it's, it's wonderful and encouraging to have a good man like Rabbi Jeff as, as a friend and also as a colleague. He's a well-respected leader throughout the Messianic movement, uh, serving in the IAMCS, the International Alliance of Messianic Congregations and Synagogues, serving in the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America, the MJA. And he is, uh, he's also a man who loves to share the good news with our Jewish people. Loves to uh, share good news with Jewish people and introduce them to Yeshua and disciple them as well. So he's, he's really a well-rounded guy and he may be blushing right now, I don't know, but um, he and his wife, uh, Janet, are just such an encouragement. When, um, when we were looking at a time for Rabbi Jeff to come, he needed someone to, to fill his pulpit at City of David, and so Rebbitz and Janet is doing that right now. So uh, this is one of those days, it's a great day, where Rabbi Jeff and Rebbitz and Janet are both bringing the word of God and bringing a word to encourage the Messianic movement. He's here with us, and she's up there with City of David Messianic Synagogue. So uh, what a team they are, and what good friends they are. So I want to invite Rabbi Jeff up. I want to just pray over him before he speaks to you. We've had some wonderful times of prayer already, but let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you. And Lord, thank you for Rabbi Jeff. Thank you for his faith and his faithfulness. Thank you for his friendship. Thank you for his integrity. Thank you for his hope and his vision too. And I pray you will use him in the name of Yeshua to encourage us and build us up on this special Shabbat. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank Thanks so much. Wow, it's so wonderful to be here. Many blessings to you. Shalom. And I was blushing, Rabbi David. <laughs> such a privilege to be here at Beth Israel. I told Rabbi David recently that the last time we were here, my wife Janet and I were 2019, it was our favorite ministry trip. We had such a wonderful time here at the congregation, but such sweet fellowship with uh, Rabbi David and, and Sandy, and the fragrance of that remains with us. It was just a, such a sweet time. So. Thank you so much for having me and welcoming me so warmly. Um, my wife, as you heard, is speaking today, but she made sure to say to send her love and her blessings here. And also my son, Ari. Some of you were praying for him a while ago. <clears throat> he was going, to, you know, for a project with Health Canada, and they, you know, to win an award 
basically is a $1 million award. And you know what? He won it. And there's my retirement package right there. No, I'm kidding. So he did it, and they started a healthcare technologies company called Scatter. He's also doing a, a master's degree in genetics. So thank you for praying for my son, Ari. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, you know, really is, it's great to be here. I feel energized by the worship, by the warmth, by what the Lord is doing here. And today, I'd like to talk to you about a principle that becomes increasingly more important as we move into the last days. Now, <laughs> I don't think I need to be too persuasive or convincing to let, let us know that we're in the last days. Amen? All we need to do is look around we are in the beginning of the last days. Well, I don't know what point. I mean, maybe not just the beginning. But we're living in the last days. And as we move deeper into these last days, things are going to get tumultuous, topsy-turvy, quite possibly even dangerous, as we've seen with COVID, and filled with the unexpected. Suddenly, we're going along, and boom, something unexpected. That can happen in the last days. It can happen at any time. And when stuff happens, if we're not careful, especially as we move deeper into these last days, we can wind up succumbing and sink into darkness, sink into discouragement, and even despair and wind up in, in this retreating and survival mentality rather than manifesting a victorious spirit that brings expansion and increase to the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're faced with in the last days. Are we going to sink into discouragement and despair and retreat, or are we going to manifest a conquering and victorious spirit in these last days. And so, with that in mind, I want us to look at what I consider to be a very unusual passage, I think you'll agree, um, in the Word of God, which took place in the days of Elisha. Elisha Hanavi. It's in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with this. Um, and this message I'm going to share with you is really a simple message. Uh, it's not, you don't need a PhD, but it is a discipleship message. It's a bread and butter message. It's meat and potatoes. It's nothing fancy, okay? But this is, you know, like, Great football teams, how are they made? <laughs> day by day with the basics. So we're going to go back to the basics today. Amen. I love the basics. I love the basics. I don't ever want to get too far beyond the basics. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let every man take a beam from there, and let us, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. He was horrified. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, or a tree, and threw it in there, and he made 
the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. That's the portion I want to talk about today. <laughs> Pretty unusual. They said the place where they were, where dwelling was too small, and they wanted to expand and build. And so they approached Elisha and said, this is what we want to do. And the anointed man said, go. Elisha was the anointed one in his day. He wasn't the Messiah, the anointed, but he carried the anointing of a prophet. So when he said, go, that was the word of the Lord. But they said, wait a minute, we want you to go with us. We want the anointed one to go with us. And so he went. And then, you know, as we read, one of the guys was chopping a tree, and the axe head flew off the handle and sunk into the Jordan. And he was horrified because he didn't have money to repay, and he could have been taken as a slave and so forth in those days. And he cried out to Elisha. And what did Elisha do? I want to read verse 6 again. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he allowed, and he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick, or an eitz in Hebrew, eitz, eitz chaim, tree of life, eitz. He cut off a tree, or part of a tree, and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Miracle of miracles, he made the iron float. I have a message for you today from this passage. There's a message in this passage for each one of us that is relevant for the topsy-turvy last days. Amen? The crucial principle from this amazing story that we need in our lives we need, you need, I need, we need this in our congregation, you need this in your congregation, we need this in our movement, and that principle is what I call spiritual buoyancy. Spiritual buoyancy, and I've entitled this message, The Miracle of Spiritual Buoyancy. So I have a question. How can a heavy iron axe head float in the Jordan River? Answer, it can't. <laughs> Except by the miracle of spiritual buoyancy. Another question. How can a nation scattered for 2,000 years go through a holocaust go on to win five wars, and rise up and become a first-rate nation among the nations? Answer, miraculous buoyancy based on a covenant promise. Amen? God said in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, underneath are the everlasting arms. Is that a bird? Oh, there's a bird in here. Okay. <laughs> Even the sparrow has found a home. <laughs> Underneath are the everlasting arms. I want to say that again. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Invisible but real miraculous buoyancy. Israel will always prevail because God is holding her up. Those arms will not fail. Amen? Israel is not going down. We're not going down. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And so what about you and I? I want us to look at the secret of this spiritual buoyancy. Again, what did Elisha do? He, the, the axe fell. He said, where did it fall? He wanted to know the place where it was. He cut down a tree, or at least a, a part of a tree, and then threw the tree 
right into that spot where the axe went down. Clearly, it is not the physical properties of the tree. It wasn't a special kind of tree that makes metal float in water. It's what that tree represented. What does the tree represent? That tree represents the tree of sacrifice, where Yeshua the Messiah was put to death for you and for me. And then he was buried like that axe head sinking to the bottom of the Jordan, Yeshua descended to the lowest parts of the earth, to the very depths of the earth. And then the miracle of resurrection buoyancy. Yeshua rose from the dead. And he kept rising and rising, and rising even higher to the very highest place in the universe, all the way to the very right hand of God. That is buoyancy. What does that mean for us? Especially as we move into the darkest hours of the last days. Well, for those of us who have received Yeshua, our sins are forgiven. We too have died with Messiah. That's what the gospel teaches. To receive Yeshua is to identify with his death. He died, we died with him. We too have been buried with him in water immersion, symbolic of the, the death and burial of the old man. But we too have been raised up with him by the miracle of resurrection buoyancy. Amen? If any man is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is the gospel. This is the basics. I love the basics. I want to keep training in the basics. And the secret to spiritual buoyancy, I see, is twofold. I want to give two pictures that you'll be able to relate with, relate to, regarding this vision of spiritual buoyancy. And the first is that we must put on Messiah and abide in him. Some time ago, I read about a speedboat driver who recently survived a racing accident. He said that he had been at nearly top speed when his boat hit a wave at a dangerous angle. The wave sent the boat spinning into the air, topsy-turvy. It's an example of a top, oh, hit a wave, hit a rough patch, and things went topsy-turvy. He was thrown from his seat and propelled deeply into the water. So deep, in fact, that he had no idea which direction the surface was. What did he do? He had to remain calm and wait for the buoyancy of his life vest to begin pulling him upward. Once he discovered which way is up, he could swim to the surface. My friends, the scriptures teach us, put on Messiah. Put him on. And when things get topsy-turvy, just abide in him and wait for that lift. That light vest works. Do we have any Navy people here? The life vest, it works. It's a lifesaver. Rest in Messiah, abide in him, and allow that lift, that supernatural buoyancy. You don't have it on your own. You've got to rest in him and let him give you that lift when things get 
topsy-turvy, whether it's the last days or a patch in your personal life or whatever situation may happen, resting in him and allowing him, as I wait, allow that spiritual buoyancy to lift us up. What a great illustration. I love that. Put on Messiah over and over again. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Put on the Messiah and let that lift. Let him lift you up above the situation. Secondly, not only must we put on Messiah and abide in him, but there's another picture of spiritual buoyancy. This is really fun. And that's the example of the hot air balloon. How many have ever gone into a hot air balloon? I, I have too. I had a friend who, he, he owned a hot air balloon business actually. And um, I went up in this hot air balloon and you're there and you know, it's so quiet up there. But then when he pulls that gas, which all you hear is a the flame heating the air that lifts that balloon, the hot air balloon. So I'm counseling you to be full of hot air. <laughs> Just be full of hot air, the right hot air. Hot air rises. I want to read you from Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, does the spirit of God dwell in you? You got you to gotta have your yes and amen in that. I mean, you don't need to say it out loud, but inwardly you need to say, yeah, the spirit of God dwells in me. I'm not asking you, do you feel him? You may or may not feel him there. Is he there? He's there by faith. If you are a believer, basically scripture says, if you don't have the spirit of Messiah, you don't belong to him, okay? So if you're saved, you have the spirit of Messiah. But if the spirit of him who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Messiah from the dead will give you lift. He's going to give you that gift of spiritual buoyancy. He's going to lift you up. He will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I love this example. Number one, we need to abide, just simply abiding in that life vest. Put him on and abide in him. And when, especially when things get topsy-turvy, you just wait on the Lord, like that Selah song we sang. You wait on him and suddenly there's a lift. Suddenly your thoughts get lifted up. Your heart gets lifted. Your soul gets lifted up. But in order to have spiritual buoyancy in the last days, not only do we need to abide in Yeshua, but we need to keep our hot air balloons filled with spiritual heat. In other words, you've got to do something. You've got to, there's abiding on the one hand, resting in him, abiding, but then on the other, you've got to get that heat going, okay? But how do we keep our balloons filled? How can this miracle of spiritual buoyancy work for us on a practical day-by-day -day basis, no matter what is happening all around us? And I want to turn to what I consider probably my favorite passage in all the Bible, you know, or my favorite practical, what I call practical theology, okay? You know, if you have a PhD, praise God. But I'll tell you what you also need is a PhD in practical theology. Because if you don't practice it on a day-by-day -day basis, <laughs> it, that, that balloon's going down. Unless you get that hot air going, 
The balloon is going down, but then you need the life vest, which will rescue you. All right. So you got to come in both ways. Practical theology in spiritual buoyancy. And as we practice this, I believe the miracle of spiritual buoyancy takes place. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Again, I don't, I don't know if there's any more practical theology in the Bible more practical than this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. What do we need to fill that hot air balloon with? Here it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Messiah Yeshua for you. I want to take a few minutes and get into this. Oh, I already know this. I've known this from the beginning. Yeah, I know. I've known it too. But I can tell you, if I'm not practicing it, it doesn't, I don't get the lift that I need. It doesn't lift that balloon, so to speak. Verse 16, rejoice always. What does that mean? I've thought deeply about these verses. I'm not an expert in it, but I've given some real thought to it. It means, what does it mean to rejoice always? It means to rehearse joy. You know, I came in earlier. These guys are really good musicians. But you know what they were doing? They were rehearsing. They were rehearsing. Great singers, too. Rehearsing. Rehearse your joy in the Lord. You have joy. You have it. It's a gift. If you're saved, you've been given the gift of salvation, and with it, the joy of salvation. Amen? Many of us have it, but we don't rehearse it, especially when things get tough. We don't rehearse it. We let our souls weigh us down. We let circumstances press in against us. But let me, let me give you something the Lord gave me a long time ago. When the pressures of life press against you, let's, let's quantify it. Let's say, you know, a five-point degree of pressure. If I don't, if I only give about a 3% effort, it's going to overwhelm me. It's going to keep pushing me back. If it's coming at me at five degrees, I've got to manifest rejoicing more than five degrees to overcome it. Does that make sense? When pressures press against you, and sometimes they're fierce, those are the times when you need to dig down deep and say, I'm going to rejoice to the point where I overcome it and push it back and get back on top of things. Amen. Amen. Rejoice always. Rehearse your joy. Spiritual joy is spiritual strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We know that. What's the source of joy and difficulty? I mean, the source of strength and difficulty, it's joy. No matter what is happening on earth, your name is written in heaven. Amen? Amen. No matter what happens, people come, people go, people die. We lose jobs, we lose houses sometimes, we go broke. Whatever happens, your name is written in heaven. That's a source of enduring joy. It's like in one of those songs here we sang that the vows of men are like, they come and go. But the promise of God, whoa, that's solid. That's very solid. That's solid rock. 
What happens when we rejoice always? It triggers a shift. I love the example of the train, you know. I'm going on a certain track, pull the shift, boom! I'm shifting tracks. When you decide by decision, not by I feel like it, right? When you decide to pull that shift and rejoice, rehearse your joy in the Lord, it triggers a shift in our attention. It's the law of attention. Immediately our minds and souls shift off of the problem and on to the Lord. It's the very way, it's the practical way of shifting out of circumstance focus to Yeshua focus. I'm going to shift by rejoicing in the Lord. It's the law of attention. Whatever our minds and souls kind of feed on, they're like a sponge, our mind and soul. If we keep looking at something, we're going to absorb it. Keep looking at the problems. <laughs> You're going to absorb the problem and the tourists and the issues and whatever that goes along with it. But when we rejoice in the Lord, it forces our attention onto the Lord. And whenever we focus our attention on, it gets magnified. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, I did some research. I needed a car, and I identified I want to get a Honda Accord six-cylinder, certain year, whatever it was. And I, you know, did the research, and I was really focused on Honda Accords. And suddenly, when I'm driving, I begin to notice all these Honda Accords out there. <laughs> How come I never noticed Honda Accords? <laughs> Any. You know, but some, because I'm focused on it, suddenly my perspective changed. And I saw it everywhere. You focus on problems, you'll see them everywhere. You focus on the Lord, you're going to see him everywhere. Amen. This is very powerful, practical theology. When we focus on the Lord... He seems to get bigger, doesn't he? Now, does he get bigger? No, but our perspective, our ability to see him grows. Our perception increases. And you know what? We were created this way. That's why you shall worship no one but besides God. Whom you worship, you magnify, and you begin to expand your own perception. We're created this way. This is how we're made. This is a little bit of anthropology here. <laughs> we're made to worship and rejoice in God alone, that we magnify him so that we can see him everywhere. I'll tell you what else happens when we rejoice always. It awakens the spirit of hope. Hope is a powerful thing. I love this definition of hope. Hope is a positive and cheerful expectation of good. It's not only positive, it's cheerful. It's an expectation that, yeah, all things work together for good when God's in the boat. When Yeshua's in the boat, the boat's not going down. You know, remember the disciples were afraid when the storm came. Yeshua was in the boat. It's not going down. Amen? Amen. An expectation of good. Hope has lift power. It has spiritual buoyancy if we practice it. So number one, the practical theology of spiritual buoyancy, rejoice always. Secondly, verse 17, that was two words. Verse 17 is three words. <laughs> Pretty simple stuff. Rejoice always, number one. Number two, pray without ceasing. Here again, when we endeavor to obey the word of God, an amazing shift 
takes place. We shift from pride, I can do it, I have experience in this, I can do it, pride and independence to humble, childlike dependence on the Lord. That's what prayer is. Say, wait a minute, I don't know, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you. And I need that drink of water, too. Pardon me for one moment. L'chaim. So we're looking to shift, shift off of circumstances, shifting onto God, shift off of ourselves, the I can do it, you know, in myself mentality, and shifting into childlike dependence in prayer with God. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Prayer without ceasing has lift power. Amen? Tremendous lift power. It brings us into continual fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It lifts us out of the flesh and into the Spirit. Our flesh is, is weighty. It's like that axe head. It weighs us down. We've got to shift out of the flesh into the Spirit. And it includes all manner of prayer. I take a very wide angle regarding prayer. It's not just petition. There's the prayer of abiding. Just abiding. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Worshiping, psalming, thanking, as we've spoken about. The prayer of abiding. There's the prayer of inquiring. David was really good at that. David, if you do a little study, open up a concordance and look at inquire. And David, King David, was really good. No matter what was happening, he had an ability to inquire of the Lord. One time the Lord said, wait until you hear the sound of the mulberry bush. Remember that? He was able to get direction through the prayer of inquiring. It lifts us out of our own thinking. The prayer of petition which we're all familiar with. But then there's praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the supernatural gift of tongues. Many times in ministry, I've got to tell you, I've been, you know, full-time 27 years in Toronto. Then I was an assistant associate rabbi in Philadelphia for close to 10 years. And I can tell you in ministry, I got numb. Things happened, difficulties happened, and my mind got numb, a little bit of fog set in, my emotions were topsy-turvy, all that stuff. And gosh, that is when we need the supernatural gift of tongues more than ever. Shifting out of natural prayers into a supernatural realm of prayer. He who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. He's speaking out things that most people don't know. So it's a way of pulling, I believe, that our, the center of our spirit is right here in the kishkas. Can we say that together? Kishkas. So we really have three centers. One, our physical center. Two, the center of our soul, which is our mind. But our spiritual center is right here. And so when I encourage speaking in tongues, I'm not encouraging. It may start from here where you kind of have baby tongues and you are priming the pump. But it's got to go down deep and then begin to come out of your kishkas. That's where the power of tongues takes place. When you're pulling out of your spirit, out of where the Holy Spirit is, out of your mouth. And that transcends all circumstances on earth and right into the throne of God, praying without ceasing. It breaks the spirit 
of pride and independence and shifts us into a spirit of humility and childlike dependence on the Holy Spirit. So number two in the practical theology of spiritual buoyancy, pray without ceasing. Thirdly, and this is four words. We start with two, three. The third is verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Now, my understanding of this is that I don't thank God for everything, because not everything that happens is of God. Amen? The devil prowls about as a roaring lion. I'm not going to thank God for the work of the devil, but in the midst of it, I will give thanks to the Lord. I think that's a key difference. Very important. In all things, give thanks. And here again, an amazing shift takes place. See, again, if you don't shift, if you don't pull that hot air, the gas, you don't shift, then it doesn't activate. An amazing thing takes place when we are thankful. It is impossible to be negative and thankful at the same time. Amen? So if you're in a negative frame of mind, you got to do something about it. Pull the trigger. Begin to thank the Lord. Obey the word of God and let that lift be lifted up. When we give thanks, a shift takes place from negative to positive. This is practical theology. Oh, but I know all this stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. It's in the doing, though. Amen? The Bible commands us, instead of complaining, criticizing, judging, give thanks. What happened to our people coming out of Egypt when they began to complain? God was not pleased with that. The kvetching. Give thanks, not for all things, but in all. You can give thanks for blessings. Amen. But in everything, give thanks. Cultivate the spirit of thanksgiving. It forces our focus off of the negative and the critical. And I remember my spiritual father, Martin Chernoff, he, he used to say, people, we're all natural-born critics. That, that's what he used to say. We're all natural-born critics. We've got to shift out of that. Here's the way to do it. Be thankful in all things. It forces our focus on that which is noble and pure, and lovely, and of good report, and that which is praiseworthy, as it says in Philippians. This is practical theology at its best, and will keep buoyancy in our walk with the Lord. See, the truth is, you're going to find what you're looking for. You look for the negative, gosh, you're going to find it. I tell that to people, you know, at, at our congregation. You know what? If you want to look for something wrong, you can find it. There is no perfect congregation, nor is there a perfect leader. Amen? I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. And that, by the way, that's not in the qualifications of leadership in Timothy and Titus. There is a high moral calling, but perfection is not in there. Otherwise, no one could be a leader. Who can be a leader of perfection other than Messiah? But you're going to find what you're looking for. And this is illustrated in the difference between the hummingbird and the vulture. Okay? Both the hummingbird and the vulture fly over deserts. All the vultures see is rotting meat because that's what they look for. They thrive on that diet of rotting meat. But hummingbirds 
ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. The vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But the hummingbird lives on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and life. Each bird finds what it's looking for. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? I'll tell you, honestly, I don't want to be a vulture. <laughs> I don't want to feed on flesh. I don't have to look too far to see rotting flesh. I could see it right here. I still have plenty of flesh. You know, I'm not perfected. I want to turn away from the flesh and look for life. You're going to find what you're looking for. Look for the Lord. Look for life. Look for that which is good and lovely and of good report. Now, I want to kind of close this message here with a question. Is all of this just a suggestion? You think this is just, hey, well, okay, I hear what you're saying. No, let, let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 18. I'm, I'm going to read 16 to 18 again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's suggestion for you in Messiah Yeshua. Is that what your Bible says? Many people come to me and say, Rabbi Jeff, I'm just, I just need to know God's will. <laughs> okay, look, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Messiah Yeshua. This is the word of the Lord. This is a word from God. It's right here. This is how to move forward in God in these last days. And so in these topsy-turvy last days, it is God's will for you to put on Messiah every day and abide in him. Put on that light vest. Let him be that security and that buoyancy in your life, and the Spirit of God will lift you up day by day. It is God's will for you to rise up above the natural realm into the spiritual realm. It's God's will for you to walk in resurrection life. If the same Spirit who raised Messiah dwells in you, He will activate through that Spirit life in you. It's God's will for you to have spiritual buoyancy in season and out of season, in sunny days and in storms. It is God's will for you to shift your attention off of the circumstances and onto the living God by rejoicing always. You'll see him everywhere. It's God's will for you to shift from being independent to childlike dependence by praying without ceasing. And it is God's will for you to live not in the negative, but to shift from the negative into the positive by being thankful and looking for that which is good. My friends, can an ax head float in water? Only when a tree is placed there too. It's the tree of sacrifice that gives rise to the miracle of spiritual buoyancy. And I want to pray for you. Would, you. would you mind standing up? I just want to release this anointing here. And maybe if Eric, you wouldn't mind just... Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for cleansing us. Lord, we're all standing on the same ground. A, a position does not give any 
inside track. I, I have no inside track as a, law, uh, as a, a rabbi. I've got to practice this myself. We must practice this. And Lord, I am praising you and thanking you that this congregation is born of God's spirit. I just want to say, I spoke at this congregation in the year 2005. And it was born of God's spirit then. And it is born of God's spirit. And whatever is born of God's spirit overcomes the world. And I thank you for that overcoming spirit of victorious faith, not in our own flesh, but because we have Messiah. Messiah is in the boat. There's spiritual buoyancy in our personal lives, spiritual buoyancy in our movement, spiritual buoyancy in our kehilot, our congregations. We thank you for the miracle of spiritual buoyancy. Help us to practice these things. Whether we get educated in the word, that's great, but we want to be disciples. We want to follow the will of God in Yeshua's name, and I loose it, and I bind the spirit of fear and turmoil and um, the churnings that take place in these days, Lord, and we take authority over any emotional discouragement or despair. We take authority over it. We loose the love, the light, and the life of Messiah to, to come through, Lord, Strengthen the leadership. Strengthen the labors. Strengthen the pillars. Every congregation is built on pillars. And I pray for those pillars, that you would strengthen the pillars and add many other pillars here in the name of Yeshua. Thank you for the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, signs and wonders, healings, deliverances. We call in in the Jewish community to this synagogue. We pray for salvation and blessing and anointing. Lord, loose that spirit of hope, that spirit of positive and cheerful expectation of good. Thank you, Lord, that you, you're the head. You're in the boat, in our homes, in our kehilot. And I thank you, Lord. Thank you for your joy. Thank you for your grace in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise. Thank you, Lord. That was awesome. I don't know about you, but I needed Jeff Foreman today. I needed the word of the Lord that God put in him. How about you? Aren't you grateful to the Lord? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for building us up. Thank you for being practical with us. Thank you for ax heads that can float. Eric, you had a song for for this moment, I think. 